Amen. And so those of you that are watching by live stream that can't be with us in person, we hope that very soon you will be uh, able to be with us. I uh, want to uh, just take a moment, remind you of a couple of prayer requests um, that we forgot to give to uh, Brother Eric when he came to pray. Uh, we want to pray for Sister Christy Bretz today. She's uh, at home sick. Um, I would like for you to pray for our family. We're going to be traveling today. Uh, we are leaving today for a West Coast trip. Uh, we're not flying. We're driving. So we really need prayer. I really need prayer. I really need prayer. Uh, and, and if you haven't known, known or, or if you don't know, I need prayer. Um, because I'll, I'll be with my three children for four, three days, somewhere in there, on the road, driving across the country. So please, please pray. But in all seriousness, I would like for you to pray for our family uh, over the next few weeks that God would give us rest, that God would speak to us uh, about this church uh, and where we are headed for the future, for the next uh, few, well, whatever God wants to do. Um, and so pray for our safety as we travel as well. We love you. We thank you for that. Uh, and then, of course, as Brother Eric said, next Sunday, Pastor Mark and Julie Hopper will be here ministering. And uh, I'm so thankful that they're able to come. And uh, the downtown church of Battle Creek, formerly the Potter's House Church, but now the downtown church, uh, they are allowing them a Sunday off to come and minister here. And so I pray that next week when he steps to this pulpit that you will preach with him, you'll shout with him, and uh, respond to the word. Amen. You ready to get into the word today? Amen. Amen. Well, the maiden flight of my very first model plane was a disaster. I remember as a kid, I had this foam airplane. Do y'all remember those? They came in a bag, really long bag, and it was basically three parts. The body and the wing, or not the wing, but the tail was one piece. The wings that went through was another piece, and then the back wings was the third piece. And it was really easy to put together. And in our church that, we, uh, that I somewhat grew up in, in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, we lived in the church there. We had an apartment in the church that we lived in, and it had a balcony. And I remember going up to the balcony as a very young child, a four or five-year-old child, and I had my airplane, and I was ready to launch this model plane from the back of the sanctuary balcony to go through the seats and through the pews onto the platform. My goal was to make it into the baptismal tank. And so I got my plane and I just reared back as long as and far as I could and I threw that plane and it went straight down and crashed right below the balcony. And I felt at a very young age that it was hopeless. At that young age, I felt my world just crash at five years old. Now, for those of you that you have uh, exceeded five years old. You know now that that's really not something to be devastated about. It's a toy. We can fix it. We can work through it. But there are times when the events of life have been created that we sometimes feel and we see as hopeless. And it's a hopeless situation. But I have learned through my uh, short time on this earth that with God... There is no hopeless situation. 
There is no hopeless situation for the one that said in Matthew, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus has power over sickness, over death, over the grave. There is nothing in your life that God cannot do for you. I want to encourage you today. I want to, I want to remind you today that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now Jesus had just arrived from a trip into the country of the Gardenes. And this trip was an exciting one as we can see in chapter 4 of the book of Mark. And his ministry there was one full of miracles. And I am, I'm wondering today if you need to go and read this chapter if you're facing a hopeless situation in your life. If you're looking at what may seem like a hopeless situation in your life, I want to tell you, you are in the right place today. You're in the right place today. There are no hopeless situations for the one who created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is the hope of the hopeless, the help of the helpless. He can tackle the most desperate situation and bring restoration and bring life. I was talking this morning with with uh, Eric and Dominique and we were talking about flowers and plants and uh, how it's just it's been hot lately and my wife uh, I've, I learned um, after 14 years uh, that my wife does not like flowers um, a few months ago I brought home some flowers and gave her some flowers and she very politely came into the room that I was sitting and she said um, hey Oss I said, yeah, baby, what can I do for you? She goes, um, you know I love you, right? And you know when your spouse comes in and says, you know I love you, right? You know that there's always going to be a but. You know I love you, right? I do. You know I love you, right? But, but please stop buying me flowers. I said, you don't like flowers? I bought you flowers for the last 14 years of our marriage. And before that, she goes, I know. Just haven't had the heart to tell you that I don't like flowers. She goes, I, I don't like to take care of flowers. I take care of children. And I keep children alive. I cannot keep flowers alive. Baby, please stop buying me flowers. So I stopped buying her flowers. And then just a couple of weeks later, we are, we're, we're working out in our yard doing some spring cleaning. This was a, back in, I think, April or, or, or somewhere in there. And... Uh, and she goes, hey, I'd like to go down to Lowe's and, uh, and go look at some things. I said, all right, baby, let's go. Let's load up the truck. Let's go to Lowe's. Don't ever have to ask me twice to go to Lowe's or Menards. Let's go. So we get up in the truck. We get the kids in the truck, and we head down to Lowe's. And I said, well, what are we looking for? She goes, let's go out to the garden center. And I thought, all right, let's go to the garden center. We're going to get some, we're going to get some, uh, maybe we're going to get like a little fountain or something for the yard. Or we're going to get some, some edging or something, you know. And, and, uh, and if you can't do it yourself or you don't want to do it yourself, let me just tell you, uh, Prime Property Care is a good, good business to reach out to. Uh, they do great yard work, um, Gavin Francis, if you need somebody. So anyway, uh, no, no, extra, no extra charge for that, Gavin. Um, shameless plug there. Not a sponsor. 
yet. But uh, we go to Lowe's and, and we go out into the garden center and I'm just kind of looking at edging and I'm looking at, at different things here and there and I'm thinking, well, maybe she wants to get a, a bush or something to put over on the side, but that doesn't make sense because we just cut out a bunch of bushes or maybe she's wanting to get a tree and plant a tree somewhere, but we got plenty of trees and we're trying to take down trees. But, and I don't know what it is and she moves over to the potted plants. And I said, hey, baby, what you doing over there? She goes, I am going to uh, get a window plant. I said, like, some vegetables or something? She goes, no, some flowers. I said, hold on just a minute. You don't like flowers. She goes, no, I don't like taking care of flowers. But if we get some flowers for outside, the rain will take care of the flowers. I'll just water them when I have to. And I said, oh, okay, that's fine. Well, rather than buy one plant, we bought two and you know because rather than just start off easy we double easy and we start off at a medium level of gardening for for us some of you you're like two plants that's medium some I know sister you're looking at me like only two that's hard yes for us it is so we get these plants and uh, we get them hung up we get some potted soil we get some and through all this mind you is when my wife fell in the garage and hurt her ankle y'all remember when she was in the boot I said see I told you we shouldn't have been doing that all this extra work for plants. But anyway, we get all the, the soil, we get the plants, we get it all put in, we get them hung up. They're beautiful, they're, they're lovely, and uh, we get them watered and everything. And Well, y'all, this week those plants done bit the ghost. They bit the dust, gave up the ghost, they have went on to meet their maker, and it's all the heat. We said it's all the heat. We've watered them every day, but they just, we can't water them enough. And they are at a point where it is a hopeless situation to keep them alive. And I have not yet done it, but I will today before I leave uh, on my trip. I will go and I will ask my wife, Stephanie Lynn, I know that you like these plants, but we're going to be gone for a couple weeks. Do you mind if I just take them and throw them away? I don't know what she's going to say, but they are hopeless. They are gone. But I'm thankful for a God that in our lives... He says, I don't care how dead you look inside. I don't care how dried up you are. There is no hopeless situation. In our lives, we feel many times that we have been in hopeless situations. We've had difficulty having children. Maybe you've experienced death in a family or the loss of a loved one, the loss of a spouse. Maybe the loss of a job and you don't know where your next meal will come from. Right now with, with our gas prices, you don't know if you're ever going to get to your job because of how expensive gas can be. And uh, what, a, what a great time to live in a rural community. People in the big cities, they don't care. They've got transportation, trains, buses, and taxis, and Ubers, and all this. But those of us that have to drive to, to work, we're wondering sometimes if we're going to be able to fill our tank up. And, 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 or maybe you have a marriage that's falling apart, and you don't know what's going to happen. Sometimes, you know, you can't throw money and resources at the problem to make it better. And so today, we're going to go to the book of Mark chapter 5, and, and I'm drawn to a verse today. Uh, in verse 21, where we have here, uh, Jesus, the Bible says, was passed over again by the ship unto the other side. And many people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. When Jairus saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. And I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him and much 
people followed him and thronged him. Now the Bible says in verse 21 that Jesus passed over again in the boat. Not long after their near-death experience on the last boat trip, it probably uh, rattled the disciples enough that when Jesus stepped on the boat, they said, hey, get the coffee out and make sure that Jesus has a couple more cups of coffee so he can stay awake during this trip. Because we can't have any more trips like the last one. They, they wanted him to be awake. And, and see, they didn't understand, though, that when you walk with Jesus, you have to walk in faith. When you walk with Jesus, you have to walk in faith. And, and, and I've said this before, that there's times I hate living by faith. There's times when my carnal self doesn't want to live by faith. I need, I have a plan and I need that plan to work. Anybody else like that? Anybody else? When you have a blueprint, you want to follow the blueprint. You want to know what's going to happen. But we have to have a couple points I want to make today. The first one being, we have to have the risk of faith. To relieve yourself of a hopeless situation, you have to take a risk of faith. In these verses, there are, are there, there are some desperate people that are coming to Jesus for help. The first one, Jairus, he took a risk of faith. He was a synagogue leader whose only daughter was at the point of death. He was a leader in Capernaum, which was a he was a very uh, prominent person and he held a very prominent position. He was most likely a godly man, and he had to overcome a lot of pressure and prejudice to come to help for Jesus. He didn't want to sneak up to him undercover like Nicodemus did in the book of John. He knew that he needed Jesus' help. He was desperate. How many of us in this room, don't raise your hand, but how many of us in this room, we don't like asking for help? We're sometimes embarrassed to ask for help. I try to know everything I know about cars, but there's times that I just have to ask for help. I try to know everything I know about laying blocks and bricks, but you know what, Brother Helmuth and Brother Eric, I don't know a lot about it. You tell me what to do, I will do it. But if you ask me to go build a house with some brick and some mar, I, sorry, I didn't know. I thought for the longest time that when you put the, the cinder blocks, the concrete goes down in the holes. Some of y'all are laughing, because, but it, that's not how it's supposed to go, is it? You just lay it right, am I, is that right? Am I talking strange here? You're just staring at me. I don't know what I'm doing here. But sometimes you got to ask for help. And Jairus had to go out on a limb here. He had to go out. He was a prominent leader in the synagogue. What are you doing going to Jesus? Can't you just pray? Can't you? But he was so desperate. When you're desperate, you'll do desperate things. And so he goes... And he says, uh, he goes to Jesus because he was desperate. And I'll tell you this, bad things do happen to good people. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're immune from bad things happening to you. If you were promised a bed of ease when you became a Christian, I want to apologize to whoever made you that promise. Because it seems like sometimes things just get a little harder when we become a Christian. You just asked Job about it. Did y'all know that Job was a songwriter? Job wrote the very first country song. Job lost his house. 
lost his job, lost his family, lost his wife, lost all of it. He lost everything. And you know what you get if you play a country song backwards, right? You get it all back. But Job said, Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all thy happy that deal very treacherously? Jeremiah complained. Job complained. They were desperate. They were in desperate situations. But here we have Jairus. And Jairus gave a very fervent but very public appeal. And he besought him greatly, another translation says. He entreated him earnestly. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, what availeth much? And so Jairus, in verse 22, we see he fell at his feet. This shows the depth of his desperation. He cast himself into humility in the dust before Christ. Listen, it isn't until I can admit that my total helplessness, that Jesus is then able to work the miracle that I need. When I'm trying to teach my kids how to do something, if I don't let them try to do it on their own, and I don't push them to do it on their own, they're never going to learn how to do it. We had this man in, in, in Battle Creek that uh, he was a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Anybody one of those in here? He knew how to do everything. And if he didn't, he'd get on YouTube, he'd find out how to do it. And I was a young homeowner. I had just bought a home, and it was an older home. And the wiring in the home was, was original wiring, and it was... Uh, in some areas of the house, it was the button switch and not the flip switch. And we had to change some of this stuff. And this man, his name was Casey Fogle. Casey knew how to do everything. And so I would call Casey. Casey, I have a plumbing issue. Can you come help me? Casey, I have a wiring issue. Can you come help me? And Casey would come over. And when he would come, I would try to have Casey do this project for me. Casey, I'll pay you to, to take this, to do this. All right, yeah, that's fine, that's fine. I remember in high school, I needed help on a science project, and I called Casey. And I said, I need some help. He goes, hey, just by chance, I got a science project in the basement. You have what? He goes, yeah, I heard you guys were doing some science fairs, and you know, all the kids in the church doing it, so I just, I got some ready, just in case. And I said, well, what are you doing? He goes, I got two plants. I got a plant down in the basement in the dark, and I got a plant outside, and we're going to see which one grows faster. Oh, okay, all right, that's cool. So I went over and I said, well, tell me about it. He goes, no, you got to do the research. I've already got the project started. Well, when I had him come to my house to help me with things, we'd get up there and he'd go, now YouTube says to do it like this. And I go, all right, well, go ahead. And he goes, no, well, I'll read it to you and you do it. And what he was doing was is he was forcing me as a young kid, as a, as, a, as a young homeowner, my early 20s, to learn how to do this stuff for myself. And he wouldn't do it for me. He would do it with me or he'd help me. When we get into this situation with God and we feel like we can do it on our own, God is stepping back saying, all right, show me what you can do. You think you don't need me? Go for it. Do your thing. But when we're saying, no, God, we need you. Do you really, though? Do you really need me? Because the way that you're doing things doesn't say that you need me. You're trying to do these things on your own. You're trying to figure it out on your own. But we have to get to a point in our life where we are become so helpless that we then say, all right, God, it's out of my hands. I'm giving it to you. I need you. And so Jairus comes here and, and, and he, says, he says, I've got to get my flesh out of the way. 
Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 that it is in our weakness that God's strength is made perfect. When we can get ourselves out of the way, in our weakness, God will be made perfect in His strength. His prayer was an effectual, fervent prayer. Today, if you need something in this house, I encourage you and I plead with you just to fall to to your knees and fall at Jesus' feet in humility and let Him work the miracle that you need. You see, Jairus was in a race against time. Jairus was coming for, for for his child. He was 12 years old and she was laying on her deathbed. And every second that he needed, or every second that he had, it counted because this precious child, his only daughter, was diff- it was difficult because he knew that she might die before he returned. He took a risk of faith. Rather than be by her side when she could possibly take her last breath, he ran to Jesus and said, Look, I just need you to come to my house. He knew that only Jesus could help in the time of Need. If Jesus would just touch her, then she would live. Jesus, and at that time when Jesus was going, you remember there was the woman with the issue of blood. That she said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I would be made whole. You see, sometimes we don't need God to come and spit in our eyes and rub some dirt up in there. We just need to touch Jesus. If we believe and we have faith, then God will work a miracle. I wonder if we would have invited Jesus or if Jairus would have invited Jesus into his home if his daughter was well. See, there's a lot of times that we only invite God into the situation when things are going good. I catch myself sometimes in prayer when things are going bad that, that, that I, I, try to, I try to follow a sandwich prayer when I pray. Anybody ever in Sunday school, did you learn about a sandwich prayer? Your bread is praise. You start and you end with praise when you pray. And then you move in and, and you go from, from praising, you go to thanksgiving, you go to repentance, then you go to petition, then you go to intercession, then you meditate on the word, and then you go again to thanksgiving, and then you go again to praise. But sometimes I get caught up and I go from praising really quick to asking for whatever I need. But when things are going good, man, I spend a lot of time in that praising area. And I go from a small slice of bread to some Texas toast in that praise. How often do we invite God into the situation when everything is going good? And as Jairus was was at his home that day, if his daughter would have been well, would he have still invited Jesus to his house? Let me tell you, Jesus wants to dwell with us all the time, not just in our times of need. It's amazing sometimes when people call or, or people message us and it's, Pastor, we need prayer, we need prayer, and that's great, but we haven't seen you in so long. What's been going on? Well, you know, I've fallen away, but I know... You know, it's always good to know where to come back to, but I think life would be a lot easier if you were here more often and you had that relationship with God a little more often. A marriage is great when there's communication. Did you know that marriage was not designed just to have relations and have intimacy and marriage was not designed just to have children? Marriage was designed, God designed marriage to show a representation between the church and Him. 
our relationship in Him. God gave us a helpmate. When we marry, we have a helpmate. That is what we are supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to help each other. We're supposed to love each other. But that's also a representation of God. That when we come into the church and we start our relationship with God, there's got to be communication. There's got to be a, a, a back and forth of things. We can't do it all. Sometimes God can't speak because we won't shut our mouths. Sometimes we sit here and we'll go, God, why aren't you talking? He goes, you won't stop talking. Just tell me what you need. You've told me five times. There was a man uh, that, that was, I was, a, I was a, a, long, a young kid. I think we had just moved to Battle Creek. And, and we had this man in our church that would pray back and forth. And he went on to be with the Lord, I know. Uh, but he would go back and forth and he'd go, oh God, oh God. Oh God, oh God. Oh God, oh God. And I remember my papa got up there and he goes, hey, brother so-and-so, God is saying, what, 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 what? And as a kid, I, I, I mean, that struck me, and I thought, wow, that was rude. But then he explained. He said, and it wasn't in front of the whole church. My papa didn't do that. It was off to the side. He explained to him, he said, hey, all you're doing is saying, God, he goes, tell him what you need. Tell him what you want. Tell him what's going on. And there was another guy, he said, you're willing way, Lord, you're willing way. You're willing way, you're willing way, Lord, you're willing way. And then I thought, well, if we'd stop talking, we'd find out what his will and way is. You ever been in a conversation with somebody where all they do is talk and you can't get a word in? And then when you're finally ready to talk, they go, well, got to go. Or, or maybe, maybe you'll text them all this great stuff and then they just say, okay. Does that frustrate anybody? That frustrates my wife so much when she texts me a long list of things that needs to be done, and I'll go, okay, or I'll give a thumbs up. And she'll go, no conversation here. I say, I don't know what else to say. Sometimes I feel like that's God, is we'll give him a list of demands, and we'll give a list, and I'm not saying that my wife sends me a list of demands, but I'm saying we give God a list of demands. We give God a list of the things we want, the things we need, all this stuff. And God, we talk so much, and then when we get done with our prayer time, time to move on, and what can God do? We've got to have that open line of communication with God. We've got to have a relationship. Jesus wants to dwell with us all the time. We have to take a risk of faith. The second point I want to take to you, tell you today is that God will sometimes provide you a miracle within a miracle. When you go back to verse number 25, or we read verse 25, it says, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood for 12 years. Remember I just told you about this. Within that miracle that God was headed to do, he stopped for a moment. How do you think Jairus felt when God said, Hold on just a second, somebody touched me. Virtue just flew from me. And Jairus is going, hey, that's great, but my daughter is dying. How many times have, have we needed something, but somebody else has come along and said, I, I need something greater? Or you feel like God stopped in the middle of your miracle to take care of somebody else's miracle. You're trying to get a car. You're trying to get a loan. You're trying to get something. And while you're trying to do all that, God provides it for someone else. See, I think our reaction sometimes also will give us the understanding of what God is wanting to do for us. Do you rejoice when your brother or sister gets a new car? 
when they get a new house, when they're healed of some disease or some illness? Do you rejoice with them or do you show envy of it? And are you jealous of it? On the way there, there was a woman with the 12-year condition of hemorrhaging. Doctors treated her and none of them could help. She spent every dime that she had and for nothing. In fact, her condition was worse than ever. Verse 26 tells us that he had, she had suffered many things and many physicians had spent all that she had and nothing bettered her. But rather, she grew worse. Her problem was also a spiritual problem. You see, according to the Jewish law, she was ceremonially unclean. Leviticus 15 and 25 said, If a woman have an issue of her blood for many days out of time and of her separation, or if it run beyond time of her separation, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as days of her separation shall be unclean. For Jesus to come in contact with her made him ceremonial unclean. For him to touch now Jairus' daughter would defile him as well. He defiled himself when he touched the leper. I thank God, though, that he was willing to come to this sin-defiled world and touch my sin-defiled life. How many times has it been? How, my goodness, in the last two and a half years or two, whatever we're in now, with, with all this COVID stuff and all this sickness and, 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 and when you know someone's sick and then, or, or you don't know that they're sick and then they tell you later, hey, just so you know I had COVID. I'll tell you, I'll be honest. I had a reaction one time. I was mad at somebody when I found out they had COVID because I was with them. I said, you had COVID and you didn't say anything? They said, well, I didn't know I had it. Oh, okay, all right, I forgive you then. But what happened? What happened when you found out somebody had COVID? All of a sudden, you isolated. We're still doing this. We isolated, and then you called somebody else. Hey, I was with someone. They had COVID, just so you know. And they isolated, and they isolated, and they isolated. And it was this just reaction everywhere around that, that we had the domino effect. I mean, boom, 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 boom. Everybody had to isolate. What happened with God is when God would go in, the Jewish law said that he could not go and touch a leper. He could not go and touch a woman with an issue of blood. He could not go and touch. Oh, but he did. And what happened when he did? Every single one of them was healed. And I'm thankful for a God that didn't have cooties and didn't care about germs and didn't care about any of that stuff. He said, look, I don't know what you got, but I've got something for you. I've got healing virtue that's going to flow out of me. If you need it, I got it. If you've got the faith, I'm ready to give it to you. I'm thankful for a God that says that for us. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Thank you, Lord. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. And like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let me tell you about the significance of the number 12 here. There's a significance about the woman who had the issue for 12 years and the daughter who was 12 years old. 
The significance of the number 12 in this account is the number of messianic fulfillment. The 12 apostles appear in place of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. In God's plan, let me tell you, we don't just happen into our condition. We don't just happen by circumstance or, or, or by, 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 by coincidence. Everything that happens in our lives is orchestrated by God if we follow His will. If we'll follow His will, it's orchestrated for us. The people that we meet, the places we go, the things we see, the, the things that we say. If your situation seems hopeless, maybe God is allowing you to be there for a miracle. Maybe not for yourself, but for someone else. I, I've been transparent, my wife and I have been transparent about what we went through, and I'm not going to get into it today. But I truly believe that if we didn't go what we went through, we can't help people go through what they're going through. Rather than taking your testimony and making yourself a victim out of it, take your testimony and say, look, I've been victorious out of this and I'm going to help somebody else get through this. Don't sit on your testimony. Use it for the glory of God. This woman felt so unworthy to touch Jesus. She came in the crowd from behind and she touched his garment. The faith that she had, verse 28 tells us, for she said, if I may touch his clothes, I shall be made whole. How many of you just can say that when you've been through situations, you can say, if I could just get to church, I'll be good. Have you ever felt like that before? That's what this woman was saying. If I can just get to where he is. But you know what I'm thankful for? is that, that we don't have to just come to a building to get to where He is. Let me tell you, God doesn't sit up on a throne somewhere waiting for us to get up to Him. He came down to our level when we couldn't get up to Him. He came down to me when I couldn't even see how to get up to Him. The faith that she had, she didn't say, then I'll be healed. She said, I'll be made whole. Her faith was then rewarded with a miracle. The Bible says in 29, and straightway the fountain, uh, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Her touch was a touch of faith. Many people touched his garments that day. I'm sure many people patted him on the back and many people put their arm around him and many people just bumped into him here or there. But this touch was different. Why was it different? It was because this woman had faith that if she could just touch him. And he says in verse 30, he immediately knew himself that virtue had gone out of him and had turned him into the press and said, who touched my clothes? Her faith was coupled with a lack of understanding and superstition. In touching only one of the tassels worn on the bottom corners of his robe, she was made whole. There can be a miracle inside of your miracle. The third and final point I want to make today is that Jesus responds in power to those who approach him in faith. The faith that we have can be weak and trembling. 
but just so it's faith. The Bible says that if you have faith the size of a barn, that if you have faith the size of an ark, that if you have faith the size of an Empire State Building, the faith of a mustard seed. I don't know if there's a Sunday school teacher alive that hasn't got a mustard seed to teach about how small a mustard seed really is. I remember as a kid, one of my Sunday school teachers was also a science teacher and she brought in uh, the name just left me, that little, that little thing that you put on the table and you put slides underneath it and you, you get down to it and uh, like a magnifying glass, y'all know what I'm talking about. Microscope, there we go. And he held this little baggie up that had one mustard seed in it. And none of us could see it. It was so small. And so he said, I want each of you to come on up and we're going to look through this microscope and look at this mustard seed. And when you looked at the mustard seed through the microscope, it looked normal. It wasn't, we couldn't even zoom in far enough. We couldn't turn that little thing close enough. Each lens couldn't get in to truly see what it was. I don't know if it was a cheap microscope or what, but, but it taught us that if we even have the faith of that little tiny seed, we can move mountains. We can cross over rivers. We can move through valleys. It doesn't matter what kind of faith that you have. Whether it's strong faith, or whether it's weak faith. It's easy to have strong faith when you got a raise in your paycheck. It's easy to give to missions. It's easy to, to, to return our tithes. It's easy to give an offering. It's easy to help people out when things are going great on the job and we got money in the bank. But what about when that last penny went out to keep the power on, to keep the gas in the stove, and you don't know how you're going to pay your next bill? You've done everything you can. You've returned your tithe unto God. You've given an offering. You've given to missions. You've done everything you can, but yet it seems so small and there's no hope. But if we could just have a faith of a mustard seed, God will always provide. You can move mountains with that faith. This woman had so much faith that Jesus said, virtue went out from me. Another version says, power has left me. I want to tell you, there's a cost to ministry. When I talk to young ministers or I talk to aspiring ministers, I tell them that there's going to be times that there's exhaustion. There's times where there's just, you feel like everything has drained out of you. There's going to be times when you get up and you preach and you do everything that you can to reach people. And when you're done, you have nothing left to give. And yet somebody's going to come up and ask you to pray for them for healing. They're going to come up and ask you to pray for them for a miracle that they need, that they're desperate. And you don't feel like there's anything else. I can't imagine what God felt like when this woman came to him. I don't know anywhere that I've ever read that Jesus rode a horse, that Jesus uh, was, was carried uh, for long periods. Jesus walked. 
I imagine he was tired that day. We don't have any description of how far Jairus' house was from where Jesus was, but we know that he was walking. And when this woman touched the hem of his garment, he said, I have felt power leave me. I have felt virtue flow from me. But he still was able to do a miracle. This woman crawled with everything that she had within her to get to Jesus. Sometimes there is a cost to touch Jesus. Sometimes you have to make a sacrifice to touch Jesus. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you today, I have seen it firsthand that when you make sacrifices in the name of the Lord and you do it for the will of God, God always provides. God always provides. I've seen people, and I'm not trying to rope anyone to giving or anything like that. I'm just talking. Giving is just the most common example that I can use right now. I've seen people give because they've wanted people to see how much they give. And not shortly thereafter, I see them begin to struggle. I've seen people give in secret because they felt like that's what God called them to do and they don't want people to know, but they make it known to who they're giving you just don't, don't tell anybody. Just don't tell anybody. Okay, well, if you didn't want us to know, just give it and don't say anything. But then I've seen people with a heart that they said, God, we want to see a work done and we're going to give to this work. We see children that need food. We see children in Tupelo, Mississippi, that need beds and they need clothes and we're going to give. We see missionaries that need a vehicle to get to where people are at and people need. So we're going to give to buy them tires. We're going to give to buy them uh, 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 coolant for their car. We're going to give to see to see missionaries' kids be able to come home and visit family here on the mainland. We're going to give to see churches planted because we are hungry for souls to be saved. And when you give with faith, God always blesses more than we can imagine. God returns pressed down, shaken together, and running over. There's got to be a sacrifice. When you think of Jacob, Jacob limped along in his life, but he wasn't hopeless. Paul in Galatians had an infirmity in his body, but he wasn't hopeless. Jairus may have become impatient over the interruption along the journey since he needed Jesus to come so quick. And I'll tell you, your faith can be attacked by the fear of hopelessness. But this was the response from Jesus to Jairus. To Jairus. He said, do not be There's many times that we need to wake up in the morning and read that scripture. Do not be afraid. When you don't know where your meal is coming from, do not be afraid. When you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, do not be afraid. When you don't know if your child is going to make it, do not be 
afraid. When you don't know if your body is going to make it, do not be afraid. When you don't know if your marriage is going to make it, do not be afraid. When you don't know from traveling from one place to another, do not be afraid. When you're worried about if you're going to get COVID, do not be afraid. We need to say this over and over and over again. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God is telling us, do not be afraid. Only believe. I'll tell you that fear is the greatest enemy of faith. Fear is the greatest enemy of faith. You can touch him today. You can touch him in faith today and receive your miracle. I don't know what you are in this place looking for today. But God is here. You will find that Jesus is ready to meet your greatest need. You'll find that no need is too small for God. You'll find that no issue is too big for God. Whatever you need and whatever you need God to do in your life today, it can be done. Like Jarius and the woman with the issue of blood. All you have to do is seek Him. You will find that Jesus is ready to meet your greatest need if you will draw near unto Him. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Let me tell you, you are never without hope. And you will find that Jesus is never too busy to work a miracle within a miracle for you. Jesus is the hope of the hopeless. He is the help to the helpless. He is the light for the darkness. Listen, where there is light, there cannot be darkness. If there is darkness in your life, open your eyes and let God see through you. Let you see through God because that light will then begin to shine. He can come in and tackle the most desperate situation and bring restoration and He can bring life. But we must approach Him by faith and we've got to bring our troubles to Him. I open this altar to you today, and I ask you, whatever your need may be, small, big, uh, whatever it is, I ask you to come today and come and count on His compassion. Count on His tenderness and His love, and we can rest in His sovereign will. Will you come today? Will you stand with me today?